Yeah. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. And um, you might see that little slide up there that um, I haven't put that up in a while. But this is kind of something that we're going to see that we have seen throughout the book of Acts. That this pattern happens. That Christian leaders emerge, they preach the gospel, listeners are converted and added to the church, then opponents begin to persecute the church, then God intervenes on behalf of the Christian or the church, and then the witness of Jesus as Lord expands. So we kind of see this pattern that happens over and over and over again. Um, And so we're going to see today in our text to uh, some persecution, we're going to see some salvation. Um, we're going to see kind of all of these things. We're going to see a preaching of the gospel. Um, we're going to see listeners converted and added to the church. We're going to see opponents persecute the church. And um, that God intervene on, on behalf of that person who's proclaiming the truth. And then we also see that the witness of Jesus Christ then expands. All just in that chapter. So sometimes it takes us a long time to get there. We've got to go through several chapters to see that pattern. But this particular chapter has the whole pattern um, in it. Um, so I'd like to pray one more time. Uh, just because I know this morning I am ultra-dependent on God. Um, I'm so dependent. I, I, I'm, as we were singing those songs, you know, they're not just songs. We're singing praises. And I, we're singing open the eyes of my heart, right? That's a supernatural opening of your eyes, right? That, that not only what you see in your purview, it becomes part of who you are, what you see and what you hear. And so I know that this morning, in order to deliver what it is that God has for us from His Word, that I am utterly hopeless and helpless as I stand here. So I need the Holy Spirit of God to fill me up, to fill you up. I need the Holy Spirit of God right now to be doing a work right here in each one of your hearts, in each one of your minds, each one of your eyes. Every ear in here needs a Holy Spirit intervention right now so that you can actually hear and see what it is that God is going to speak to you. So let's pray. Father, with that heart, I understand I am just, I am a mere man just dependent upon you. And I know, Lord, that you are powerful and mighty to open eyes, to open ears, to open hearts, to bring dead people to life. I ask such a big task of you this morning. It seems small to you. It's huge to me. I can't raise anyone from the dead. I can't make any blind eyes see. I can't make any deaf ear hear, and I can't make any hardened heart soften, but only you can do that. And so, Lord, I am begging and pleading with you to do that in us this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I'm going to begin in Acts 16 in verse 11, and I'm going to read through the whole rest of chapter 16, and then we will dive in. So, I have a tall task, so we're going to see if I can get there in the time allotted. So, Bear with me as uh, God stirred something very deep in me this week about hearing and seeing the Lord. Verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, 
which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed that there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. After she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As they were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by, by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, let those men go. And the jailer reported these things to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I'll tell you this morning that we... Now, I don't want you to throw me out the door when I say this, man, so get bear with things. We are a seeker-friendly church. Okay, so that brings up some connotations. That might be negative, but I'm going to define this a little differently than you might know the definition of what a seeker-friendly church is. I'm going to tell you what I mean. We are friendly 
to the seeker with a capital S. The one that is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. That is the seeker. There is no one who searches after God. No, not one. The word of God teaches us that there's no one who searches after God. That's not one who does. But God searches after those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. So what we're going to see in our text this morning is a tale of two women and then a tale of two conversions. In this tale, we see the role of God, the role of the missionary, and the role of the converted. We also see evidence of the conversion to Christ in the convert's life. This morning, we will begin to answer a question that our men's study, some pastoral groups I've been in, have been asking. And this is a big question. Who is my brother? Who is my sister? I see clear evidence in this text some things that we can determine as to who is my brother and who is my sister. So what we have in our text this morning is we have three missionaries. They're in Philippi, a province of Rome. Now Paul's normal mode when he went to a, a city was to first preach in the, the gospel in the synagogues of all the towns that he went to. Well, in Philippi, he finds no synagogue. In order to have a meeting in a place, Jews required that there be at least ten men. So there weren't enough men to form an assembly. But the women, they went a little bit outside the city to a river to pray. And this was the normal custom. This is normally what would happen. If there was not a synagogue, they would find a place just outside the gate. Because in a Roman province, right, the Romans had to approve of whatever... They approved of all kinds of religious practices, many varying different ones. They would approve of them. But if they did not have approval from the Romans, because the Jews could not put together enough to do this, right? So then they would have to practice this non-recognized faith outside the gates. So that's the idea there, that they would meet at this river. So let's look at verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. We see here, she was a woman of means. Purple goods would fetch a great price in the marketplace. I think about our society, and we esteem those who have financial success. We think those that are succeeding in finances and succeeding in life, that they are somebody who is worthy. We would esteem a person worthy that is doing so well financially, that God has obviously blessed that person, and therefore we would esteem them highly. But the fact of her success, I want to posit to you, makes her an unlikely convert. It makes her an unlikely convert. It makes us unlikely converts. Because in Matthew 19, 24, it says, Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What makes the rich unlikely? It's that this. There are voices in the world that tell us what it means to be successful. And what to find joy in. The things that the world would tell us to find joy in. Material, money, success position, 
sometimes can drown out the voice of God. It can make it so we can't hear it. We can't hear what it is that God would speak to us because we are listening to another voice. We're listening to other voices that drown him out. I know I've preached this before, but for me personally, sometimes I know all the voices in my head that drown out the voice of God. Condemnation that comes from the enemy. I hear that voice. I hear voices of people in the past who maybe have ridiculed me and let me down. I hear those voices. And I don't hear what God says about me because I have drowned them out by these other voices that are coming into my head. But think about this idea that if the world is telling you that success means this or it means that and you're hearing that voice and God wants to speak something to you, it can drown it out. So in Lydia's case, I see and I think that she is an unlikely convert. She is unlikely to believe the gospel. She is unlikely to hear him based on her own ears, based on her own heart, based on her own vision. But notice here that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. Okay? So it says here that this was a a woman who was a worshiper of God. God had caused her to seek him. God sought her out. God drew her to that place of prayer. That he pulled her there that she might hear the word of God. This worshiper of God didn't know the God she worshipped. She was a worshiper of God, it says, but she didn't know the God she worshipped. She had to have her ears opened. She had to have her heart opened to hear what it was that Paul was going to proclaim. And Paul was going to just proclaim something simple that we've been proclaiming time and time again. It is that God sent His only Son to pay a price for sin that you and I couldn't pay. And that He didn't stay dead. That three days later He rose and He is sitting at the right hand of God making intercession for each one of us that is praying for us. That is uh, blocking out the enemy's accusation. The enemy accuses and Jesus is there for us at the right hand of God saying, pay for, pay for, pay for. Accuse all you want. Pay for. That one is mine. That is my child. Well, you see, we need something, we need an intervention to open our hearts and our eyes and our ears to hear that, do we not? Did you guys are just so smart that, that you get it and your neighbor doesn't? Are you so smart that somebody who you love and your family, you're just smarter than them? That you have Jesus and they don't? No. It is a miracle-working God who opened your heart, who opened your eyes, who opened your ears, who took you from a place of death and gave you life, who took you from the miry clay and set you upon the rock, right? It is God. It is a God intervention. And the same thing happened here for our new friend, Lydia. Now, how can we say that Lydia is a sister in the Lord? There's some immediate evidence. Let's look at verse 15. After she was baptized and her, and her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. You see, there's evidence of a genuine conversion she can be counted as a sister. 
Number one, she made a public declaration of her faith through baptism. Number two, she sought, sought confirmation of her faith from other believers. She sought confirmation here. If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, she's asking other believers, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house. So another thing is, is that she immediately became hospitable to other believers as well, right? And if we go ahead and we read at the end of verse 40, when, when Paul and Silas got out of prison, what did they do? They went to visit Lydia, and they had seen the brothers, and they encouraged them. You see, she had continued and remained in fellowship. I think that is clear evidence that she was indeed a sister, that there's immediate evidence of that. And her love of God is manifested in a love for believers through Christian hospitality. She used the blessings of God for the benefit of the household of God. You see, she had all, she had this wealth, right? And she took those gifts that God had given her right upon her conversion and said, I must share this with my brothers and sisters. I think that is evidence of conversion for her. Let's look at verse 16. Now we're going to see the second one. The other woman. I'm going to call this the other woman. There's the one woman, Lydia, and she is converted. And now we're going to see the other woman. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us to practice as Romans uh, or to accept the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. You see, the other woman, Paul's annoyance might seem harsh at first. This woman is proclaiming some truth, that they were indeed servants of the Most High God. They were indeed claiming the way of salvation. But what was Paul annoyed at? Paul was not annoyed with the slave girl, but he was annoyed with the contrary mocking spirit. It was a spirit mocking God in her. He was not so annoyed with her, but he was annoyed with that spirit. And Paul rebukes that contrary spirit. But again, remember we talked about we talked about discipleship a lot, and that one of our aims in discipleship, or the the definition we used, was aiming to do an intentional spiritual good in another person's life. Was Paul not aiming to do a spiritual good in this woman's life? This woman was a slave. She was abused. She was oppressed not only by a spirit, but she was also oppressed by men. By the men of that city who had enslaved her and trapped her. And Paul, aiming to do spiritual good in her life, rebuked that spirit from her. Well, she was not set, only set free from that opposing spirit, but also set free from those who were capitalizing on her oppression. And her owners, they didn't have ears to hear. They did not have ears to hear 
what was being spoken, you see. Because Paul and, and Silas there were proclaiming the gospel. Because she, she declares that right there. That he was saying, these are servants of the Most High God, and they're proclaiming the way of salvation, right? So we know that Paul is, is, is claiming Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection as the way to salvation, as the way to be reconciled to God. We know that he's doing that. We also know that her owners did not have ears to hear. Their ears were not open. The oppressing spirit, though it was mocking, it was speaking truth about the missionaries. They were sent by the Most High God, and they proclaimed the way of salvation in Jesus Christ. Well, this all gives us this pause of how is it that I can hear the Word of God? How can I, my neighbor not? How is it that I know who the Lord Jesus is and my neighbor does not? Because when I take a long look in the mirror and I take a list of spiritual inventory of who I am, when I take a good look in the dark corners of my heart, the conclusion I come to is, Jeff, you're not so much. You're not so special. You're not so good. God did not get a prize when he chose you. It's not that he looked at you and then he looked at another person and said, that's a prize. Right? That this guy's got it together. And so I'm going to pick him because he's going to do me some good. No, not at all. Right? So how is it? Well, I want us to look at Matthew. If you guys would flip to Matthew chapter 13. He gives us a clue in Matthew 13. Jesus, more than a clue, he just outright says it. Um, Jesus just outright says this. Let's look at Matthew chapter 13 and begin in verse 11. And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even that which he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah fulfilled that is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears, with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Now here's what's good for you and for me. Because you can hear the word of God this morning. Can you hear it? Can you hear him speak to you through the text? Is he changing and transforming your life. This is the blessing, Jesus says. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. There are many who longed to hear that and didn't hear it. But God has opened your hearts. God has opened your eyes to hear both to hear and to see him. And when I said before, that as I started this morning, that it is my, my plea and my passion and my desire, I don't know how to do it. I stand up here right now and I say, there are probably, there's probably a couple of ears in here that are clogged and they need to be opened. There's probably a couple eyes that have been blinded. There's probably a heart or two that are darkened. And then when I think that, that my job 
my duty. What is my duty? Is it to open blind eyes? Is it to unclog ears? Is it to soften hardened hearts? It is not. It is to tell the truth about Jesus Christ and His power to do so. Right? And I sense this morning, see, that's why it's such a big undertaking. That's why it's a big thing, right? That I must listen to the voice of God. I must hear what He says. And He says to me, proclaim this truth wherever you go. But they don't have ears to hear. They're not listening. Preach it anyway. They don't have eyes to see. Preach it anyway. Their hearts are hardened and they cannot even come to me. Preach it anyway. Because do you believe, Jeff? Do you believe? Do you believe this? Do you believe what we've said all along? That the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those who are being saved? Do you believe that? So preach the cross. Because it is indeed the power of God. We see in Romans 1.16, right? Is, is that gospel is the power of God's salvation, right? Preach the gospel. So we must preach that. We must preach it to one another. And I pray and I plead right now as I'm sitting here that God would open eyes, ears, that he would soften hearts. And all I can do is plead. It's all I can do. But it's what I must. It's what I must do. It's what you and I must do. Remember like in 2 Corinthians and it says something to this effect. I'm not going to turn there. I hope I don't go through the scripture too bad. But in 2 Corinthians it says that we implore you, that we plead with you on behalf of God, be reconciled unto God. It's a pleading, and I am pleading today. Be reconciled unto God, and I have no power to make you do that. I have nothing that would make you do that. But He does. And so I'm pleading, not only with you, to have open ears and open eyes and open hearts, but I am pleading with God that He would supernaturally do that work. I am pleading with God that right now, today, that His Holy Spirit would come and invade this place and invade our hearts. That he would invade our workplaces as we go and proclaim the truth where we're working. The places in our school where, we, where, we, where our kids go to school. They would just say, Holy Spirit, God, you need to open eyes. I can't do it. But I'm going to tell them the truth about Jesus Christ. That's all I'm going to do. I'm going to keep telling the truth about Jesus. I'm going to keep telling the truth about the power of the cross. I'm going to keep telling the truth about their redemption. About how Christ has redeemed those that can hear to himself. Let's look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now here is our second conversion. Okay? So we saw the first one. We're going, to hear, we're going to see a second one. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that they had that he 
had believed in God. I want us to notice that Paul and Silas were committed to carrying out the Great Commission. But when faced with the obstacles of persecution, the overflow of their heart was to minister to God in prayer and in singing. First and foremost, Paul and Silas were worshipers of our glorious God. That's what we see as Paul and Silas are in that prison. They are worshipers of God and they find all of their joy in Him. Right? All their circumstances could be washed away. They found all of their joy in the person of Jesus Christ and in the glory of God. So in doing so, what do we find? We find that where God is glorified, we find our true joy. Where God is glorified, we find our true joy. And I wanted to speak to joy just for a second because notice that Philippians, Philippi, it's going to be a church there. And Paul's letter to them is about joy, right? And Paul demonstrated the joy of glorifying God in the midst of circumstances right there before the first convert, right? Before the Philippian jailer or the second convert as we've been looking at when Paul and Silas are, are focused Godward, guess what happened? The chains fell off. They were not focused on circumstances. They were focused Godward. Their aim, their heart, their vision was Godward. And the chains fell off. And they were set free. I, I asked, are you going through a tough time this morning? Are you chained by something? An addiction? A problem? Are you oppressed in a bad relationship? Are you locked up by self-reliant legalism? Maybe the word of the Lord for you this morning is to remember how great your salvation is and to focus your heart and your mind and your soul upward. Focus our heart, our mind, and our soul upward and the chains come off. The chains come off. The jailer, he is in great despair and he's to the point of suicide. He's a man without hope. He's not to his knees. And God's turned in his heart to ask a question. What must I do to be saved? Think about this though. His life was spared. He was about to commit suicide. He was about to fall on a sword. Because had, had the prisoners escaped, his bosses would have killed him anyway. Right? So he's thinking, instead of that, I'm just going to do it myself. But yet, Paul screaming out to him, spared his life. But his question after his life has been spared is, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? See, God opened his heart to ask a different question. What must I do to be saved? God had stirred in him a sense that he was separated from God. That he was separated from the God who had loosened these chains of these men. That he saw that as they were focused upward, that the chains fell off. That they were indeed saved. He says, what must I do to be saved? God impressed on his eternal soul that he was indeed perishing. God prepared him and his whole house to hear the word. Did you get this? Is that when he asked this question, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's answer is, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all who were in his house. 
God said, I'm, I'm going to open your heart. I'm going to open your mind. I'm going to open your eyes to hear the word of the Lord. And not only you, but your whole house. Everybody in your house, I'm going to open their hearts to hear the word of God. Well, there's immediate evidence of the jailer's conversion as well. The jailer had care for the saints. Right upon hearing the word of God and believing it, he washed their wounds. Second, he too made a public confession of his faith through baptism. Number three, the salvation of his whole household is evidence of his genuine conversion. And then number four, I think this one is the greatest. I think this is the one for you and for me. Is an astonishment at God's gracious act towards us. Astounding. He was flabbergasted. He could not understand. He was like, I rejoice with my whole household that I have believed. I can't believe I believe. I cannot believe that I believe. This doesn't make sense. I can't believe it. But I believe it. But I can't believe that I believe it. It's amazing, right? It's an astonishment at God's work. Let's look quickly at 35 through 40 and then we will close. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrate and they were afraid. And when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Paul and Silas see they're falsely imprisoned. They make them come publicly so that they would help the cause of the gospel in the future. So they make these guys come to release them that there was no hindrance to the gospel after they left, you see. So I ask this question, who is my brother? Who is a true Christ follower? I posit this from the scriptures, a simple answer. Hearers and doers of the word of God. Who is my brother and who is my sister? Hearers and doers of the word of God. Those are my sisters. Those are my brothers. James tells us, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he looks like. That always makes me laugh. He looks in the mirror and walk away. Who am I? Oh, God, that. It always makes me laugh to think of that. He forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, there's another key. Who is my brother and who is my sister? Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. God the Father is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and truth. That is both in word and in deed. The church of Jesus Christ faces persecution from without and compromise from within. That's our big struggle. Think about what it means to be a Christian today. We face persecution from outside of our, our walls. And we face compromise from within inside of its doors. And think about this. This is a good question to ask. Who is my brother and who is my sister? At first I wondered if that was even a good question to ask. But as I contemplated this, Jesus, when he comes back, is asking the same question. 
Who are my brothers and who are my sisters? Jesus would say, who has been grafted into the vine? Who is it that are genuinely part of me? And he gives us clues in Revelation. I'm going to read a bunch of them really quick. Revelation 2.7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He who has an ear is a conqueror, Jesus says, an overcomer. He who is a brother and a sister of Christ is one who has overcome because they have an overcoming Savior. Their life is hidden in Him. Verse 11 of chapter 2. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Hearers are faithful even unto death. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who received it. Hearers get their supply and their identity from Christ. That's who my brother and who my sister is. One who gets their supply and their identity from the person of Christ. The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, I will give him authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said to the churches. Hearers, hold fast that which is given to them. And they are given authority to rule. In chapter 3, he says yet again, Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who are not soiled, have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed with dust in white garments. And I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Hearers are undefiled and robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Verse 10, because you have kept my word about about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down for my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, hearers endure hardship and are kept through even the harshest trials by Christ himself. Those are our brothers. Those are our sisters. Who is my brother? It is he who has given an ear to hear and to do the will of God. He who finds his joy in the glorification of the God who saved him. That is my brother. That is my sister. And those are the ones that Jesus is looking for. Jesus is looking for those. So, I ask once again, are you a hearer? Are your ears dull? So right now, if your ears are dull, I want to pray for you. If your eyes are blind, I want to pray for you. If your heart is hard, I want to pray for you. Because I can do nothing to help you. But the Holy Spirit of God and the power of the cross of Jesus Christ can open your eyes Soften your heart and unplug your ears. Let's pray. Oh, mighty Father, you are good. We ask now for a Holy Spirit intervention in our lives to open our blinded eyes. 
Even those of us who have believed and seen that the Lord is good and we have tasted and we know and we can hear. But sometimes our eyes get blinded. We put our own blinders on. Sometimes we plug our own ears. Sometimes we harden our own hearts. And so we ask today a power that comes from the Holy Spirit of God to soften us, to open our eyes, to unplug our ears, that we might be those who are enabled by your power to do the will of God. I keep thinking about Jesus who said, when the disciples come back from getting food and they come back to Samaria and they ask Jesus about food and Jesus says, my food is to do the will of the Father. I pray that, that would, God would stir that in us. That our food and our nourishment come from doing the will of God. And so Lord, uh, convince us today of who our brothers and sisters are. Convince us to be on mission with them and with you. In Jesus' name, amen.